So Conan is going to get sacked from the Tonight Show. Yeah, yeah. And they said, you know, you got a few weeks to go. And NBC literally said, you know, we're not going to tell you what to say. Just enjoy your last few weeks. And so he created a segment called Spend NBC's Money. Yeah, yeah. And he... Did so he's like, like the famous like outfit that someone wore in something. He and did, and he also like an elephant, an elephant, and then he trashed a car. Yeah, but he said, "Oh, it doesn't feel right trashing this car. We need the right song." <laughs> oh. So then he bought the rights to ACDC's <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> whatever it was, because he goes, "I I felt like it just needed the song for me to smash the car." Oh, so he bought man. the rights to someone else so he could smash the car and spend NBC's money. This is Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoom. Talking to interesting people about that interesting thing that interests them. Welcome back. It is another Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoof episode. I'm Dan DeBoof and this is my podcast where I talk to someone who I find interesting about what they find interesting. This week, my guest is Ryan John, another radio and media guy like me. Uh, until very recently, he was a brekkie host on Hit 92.9 in Perth. On Twitter, he is Ryan John. On Instagram, he is Ryan.John. And on Facebook... He's Ryan John online. He's had literally hundreds of millions of views on all those platforms for his videos. His recent one uh, was him running across Australia to propose to his now fiance. So that worked. An idea which ties in with the theme of our discussion this week, US late night TV hosts. Specifically, the conversation revolves around Letterman, uh, which is Ryan's favorite presenter, and Conan O'Brien, mine. Conan O'Brien did a, a similar video running, and we touch on that. And also, because we're a couple of media guys, the influence that these sorts of people have had on us and on the world in general. Uh, from simply redefining what comedy means and what's possible in a comedy scenario all the way through to shaping elections and stuff like that. It's a fascinating battleground, the sort of US late-night talk show scene. Maybe it's more fascinating for me and Ryan, given you know what we've done for work throughout our lives. However, I reckon you'll enjoy it too. At the very least, you get a peek inside the weird brains of people who make up funny stuff for a living and take it way too seriously. But also, you'll get recommendations of some stuff to watch, things you might not have known about. And halfway through, you'll get to hear what it sounds like when Dan gets a delivery to his apartment in the middle of a podcast recording. So let's get into it. This is me, Dan DeBoof, because this is totally obsessed with Dan DeBoof. My guest is Ryan John, and the topic is US late-night TV hosts. Ryan, yes. what are you obsessed with? I'm obsessed with American late night talk show hosts. Okay, can you give me a, uh, a sort of cast of characters, a rogues gallery of who you're talking about? Well, I was a Letterman man um, growing up. I used to watch Letterman every night and then I didn't really know there were other ones. Um, but the great battle was between him and Leno. Yeah, and then that's sort of like mid-90s. Yeah, and then when Leno left, he was replaced by Conan, who was then sacked. 
replaced by Leno. We've obviously got Jimmy Fallon in the mix now. Kimmel's been there for a while. Um, and now there's... Who we got now? John Oliver's sort of yeah. been there as well. Yeah. And the game's sort of changing. Yeah. Um, it's probably a bit more internet-oriented. Internet yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I love there's been a lot of big brouhaha's about contracts and who's going to get the Tonight Show. It used to be the one job that everyone wanted. And I just... The more I read about it, the more interesting I found it. Okay. Uh, this is cool. I... Um, I mean, obviously, we are both, uh, you know, media presenters, mm -hmm. personalities, talent, whatever you want to call us. I personally prefer talent. I was going to say, the, the way you um, sort of pointed at yourself and brushed your hair back when you said talent. Yeah. I, I appreciated that. Yeah. Did a little flex of my biceps. <laughs> yeah. I um, prefer talent. Yeah. I mean... Have you ever watched uh, the Larry Sanders show? Bits of it, yeah. Oh, you got to watch it from episode one to yep. the very end because that's like a satire of late night TV. Yep. Um, and I, mean, I was about to say Rip Torn, you know, rest yep. in peace. But um, Gary Shandling as well. Both of them have, have now left us. Wow. Well, apparently like, Gary old. Shandling was pretty much offered the Tonight Show yeah. at one stage and he said no and made well, he the was Larry like, Sanders show instead. And he was like the fill-in guy all the time. Yeah, yes. which they is the like, natural sort exactly. of progression. Um, it really is this incredible world. I think it's interesting how like a lot of people who are drawn to comedy and media and performing are also kind of uh, strategic minds as well. Like, mm. I mean, like I... Obviously, a lot of comedians and stuff have done law degrees and I'm one of those. Yep. But like a lot of people who are drawn to the media and that are very analytical. And I think this kind of the whole late night battlefield hits both those sweet spots yep. of like obsessive comedy writing plus machinations and industries and multi-million dollar paychecks and backstabbing. It's like politics. Yeah. But it's, it's also art, comedy. Art and science comes together. Now, am I right in thinking that, Dan, you might be more of a Saturday Night Live guy than a Tonight Show kind of guy? I don't know. I, so, I never really watched much American comedy growing up. Right. I was like your Blackadder, Faulty Towers, yep. all that sort of stuff. And even like, you know, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, when you start to really form your opinions, other than The Simpsons, it was all like um, Black Books. Yep. Mighty Boosh Stuff like that Yep um, I only came to American TV Through things like Arrested Development And 30 Rock Yeah And by then A lot of late night stuff Had played out And I always saw SNL As being like A bit broad A bit goofy Yeah um, And a bit repetitive And then I saw um, Well that's a definition Of American comedy Versus the more abstract what? And British stuff Yeah it's described. hard to tell these days But at the time It really was Wasn't yep. it and then um, the um, late night scene, I was like, what, it's so just some guy who interviews a movie star and then puts a band on? Because I'd yeah. always, if I ever saw it, it'd always be Leno introducing a band yeah. or something like that. Well, actually, the most, the thing I like the least about late night is the interviews and them just bringing on a comic at the end. I like yeah. the comic and stuff, but I just always love the, the skits and sketches and, and the monologue and stuff. Well, you know... Talk to me about that. Talk to me about when you were young, you yep. know, where were you? How old were you? What were you like? What were you into? And what were you sort of imagining for the future? Yep. And what were you watching? Yeah. So I used to, like in high school, go to school for the day, um, go to the gym after school. And then I used to be like a semi 
professional almost volleyball player. So I'd go to what which an is so odd hard. sport of it's choice. It's so hard. To be, it's so, and people don't believe me now because I'm only six foot tall and I've got a, a, a dad bod. How tall do you have to be? To, I guess you have to get over the net, don't you? Yeah. Well, yeah. I I played in the team where I was in the starting six and I was the only one under six foot seven. So wow. Like six nine. The six, Muggsy eight, six, Bogues. Seven. Yeah. Of the, the Caleb Daniel. Yeah. Right, well, you can yeah. afford to have one. But anyway, yeah. I I'd train at night and so I'd get home at nine or ten o'clock. And so I'd have dinner and put the TV on and, and that's when Sandra Sally was finishing up the Channel 10 News and then David Letterman used to be on every night. Okay. And I think, yeah, mum got, got me a TV for my room, which is a big moment for a child. And you're like, I've got a TV in my room. So I could go to bed and, and watch Letterman every night. Okay. And that's when I started like loving him. And I think with Letterman... And what was he doing on the show that made you love it? Um, well, I think what I liked about it, and this might seem weird, but he isn't that good looking. Yes. And he had like the big buck teeth. And when I was yeah. younger, I had big buck teeth and I never thought I was that good looking. And I, I liked the idea that this guy had sort of, he was kind of the anti-Hollywood showbiz, even though that's what he did. He sort yeah. of had this anti-establishment, like I'm not some pretty guy. I'm just some goofball who's just slinging jokes. And he was a bit against the corporation. That's... Whereas Leno was like, I am the corporation. Yeah. That's so strange for me. Cause I used to see Letterman as literally like the definition of the establishment. Like when I yeah, first right. realized he existed, like I said, he just would interview movie stars. Yep. He made millions of dollars and sexually harassed his staff. Yep. <laughs> and I was just like, why is everyone so bonkers about this guy who to me is just some old dude doing boring stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess we, well, you might have missed his heyday. His heyday. I reckon he got to a stage where... He's like, yep, I'm on a good thing and doing it. But when he used to get out and about and do stuff... Like, um, tell me some stuff. Uh, he worked for a day at the checkout... Not the checkout, the drive through at, like, Hungry Jack's or right, something. Right, yeah. Um, and he was, like, a big star. And this is, like, pre-YouTube skits where people would come around to get their fries and they'd be like, oh, my God, it's David Letterman. And, you know, it was sort of a bit revolutionary. And because he's so fast and off the cuff, he could just be so funny to anyone who'd come through. And... I love it's, that. It's like we owe him a comedy debt, but I never realized yeah. that. I was like, yeah. yeah, everyone's doing that sort of stuff. It's like, yeah, but he did it in like the early 90s. Yeah, and he was also... Late 80s. It's funny that you say you see him interviewing the big movie stars because obviously that's where media is now. But he was one of the originals who would bring on just like whack job people as a guest. So he'd be like, yeah. we've got Paris Hilton up next, but first we've got this guy and his name is the captain and the, <laughs> and the captain he i never forget this interview he had this boat and he used to go out and you know how there's in the pacific somewhere there's a big lump of trash that's yeah. just floating around yeah and so the captain self-appointed was just in charge of making sure that the the trash island was going okay oh, okay and, and what i liked about it is dave wasn't like hey everyone check out this idiot the audience is crying of laughter because the captain's so animated and Dave was just straight face going, Captain, you're amazing. I don't know how you do it. Tell me more. Yeah, okay. What's your favorite bottle? Oh, Dave, we've found Mountain Dew bottles. We haven't found a Pepsi once. Whoa. And Dave was like, Pepsi in the ocean? You didn't see a Pepsi? And like, I don't know, his ability to make this guy the absolute star for a few minutes, keep a straight face where everyone else was kind of doing the movie star bits. I, I like that he could... It was it's a bit different. fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Because I... um. I think of the stuff that I was consuming, like, um, I mean, I, or not even that I was consuming, but think of what we sort of got in Australia with like, Hey, Hey, it's Saturday and, yeah. and, and Rove. And it's obvious the debt that 
these sorts of shows owed to that, but I yeah. guess I never, you know, almost did my homework or checked my citations yeah. and went back and realized, yeah, I almost feel like, like I studied the, the, the fall of Rome, but never had the glory yeah. days of the empire. Well, both Kimmel and Conan are very like, oh, without Letterman, I wouldn't be here today. And it sort of seems cliche to, talking about the stuff Letterman did now, because it, now it's, like we were chatting before the podcast, how everyone's sort of doing these sort of bits and got a thing and it's, it's yes, really normal yeah. now. Everyone's like, like you talk about the yep. drive-through thing, yep. which would have been revolutionary in yep. its time. Think of what it took to set up a TV shoot back then. Yeah. You know, like it would have really been crazy. Yep. Whereas now, yeah, anyone can whip out a phone and send, you know, the, the stunt guy from the Brecky show down to a drive-through and, and it's all brought it. to you by Muzz Buzz or whatever. Yep. Like. So, yeah. And one of the things I like, he had this segment called Will It Float? And apparently and, uh, CBS wanted to give away, they did a deal with Mercedes or someone. They want to give away a big car. And Dave's like, no. Nah. Said no to this big corporate thing. And he goes, I want, I want a big tank. And I want to throw things in it. I want to see if it floats or not. And the network were like after him saying, this is dumb. We've got this sponsor. No one wants to sponsor a tank. Yeah. And he goes, well, it's my show and I'm doing it. So on the first day, he does Will It Float? And he just lobs something in. And it, f- and it doesn't float. And he's like, well, that was tonight's edition of- and it seems really stupid. Yeah. The next day he brings out, he goes, oh, I've got the Will It Float dancers. <laughs> and every Great. day it gets yeah. more ridiculous and ridiculous. And, then, and I remember on Friday and he goes, guys, it's the last day of Will It Float. It's been Will It Float week. The executive said it wouldn't work. Mazda said it wouldn't work. We had to give away all this money and I've proved him wrong time and time again. But then he sits back and he says... But now that everyone else likes it, I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> I don't know. It's just the subtlety or the way he said it leans back. He's like, oh, I never really liked it anyway. It's um, Yeah, I mean, I hear that and I'm like, that's, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. I'm like, that's exactly what we tried to do with the Dan and Maz show. And like, again, I'm like, part of me is almost honoured that my brain's in the same direction as this guy who's got a proven track record of success. But yep. the other part of me is like, God damn it, I was derivative without even knowing Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. was two decades late. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so from an early age, you've been, you know, drinking up, drinking up this culture. Yeah. So then where does it go from there? Were you like following avidly the late night wars and all that sort of stuff? Or Well, I'm a bit of a nerd and I, for some things. And I almost, when I was thinking about something I'm to- totally obsessed with, my fiance, Bridget, she would say Wikipedia because... Every time I watch a movie, I'm on Wikipedia going, oh, did you know this actress actually went to this school and she okay. did this thing beforehand? So yeah. I, I love hearing the backstory. And as you can imagine, that kind of person, he watches enough of this show and goes, oh, so what's his deal? Mm. You know, so you look him up and you go, oh, I used to do this. And he actually used to work at the opposition at, at NBC. Letterman did. Yeah. So yeah. Letterman was on after Johnny Carson. Yeah. And it was, it was really formal almost back in the day where what would happen is the guy who was on after the Tonight Show was probably going to be the next host. And yeah. the way to get the one after was to be a stand-up comedian who did comedy bits and then got invited to the couch and, and then made friends with the host. And then if the host liked you, you might get to do the late shift. And then yeah, it was, it was yeah, this yeah, really yeah. weird sort of formal process. So Dave did the late show for 10 years. And they're like, yep, as soon as Carson goes, You'll bet the job's show. yours. Yeah. And then it turns out Leno rocks up and upstreamed him upstreamed him and he was filling in for Carson and there was this big who's going to get it is it going to be Leno or is it going to be Letterman and they actually made a movie about it called The Late Shift which you can see on well, not Netflix or Stan but YouTube you can see a book there where I'm pointing 
Is it? The War for Late Night. Yeah, so I bought it and I've never read it. And when Ryan Shelton was in here as well, he said that's a really good book too. Yeah, wow. So what's it say? It's like when... The War for Late Night. When Leno went early and television went crazy. Looks pretty cool, right? Yeah. So basically, Letterman got screwed over. Yeah. And so Letterman walked across the street to from NBC to CBS and became number one straight away. Yeah, okay. Um, and then when Leno left, he was going to be replaced by Conan. And the whole idea... You can just put it on the... T- oh, you found <laughs> a spot. Yeah, cool. The, the whole idea was that they didn't want the messy fight. Yeah. And then it ended up being one of the messier fights of all time. And Conan got sacked after seven months. And, and then who replaced him? Conan got replaced by Leno. Leno yeah. came back. And then um, Conan went away... And he did his amazing tour. Yeah. And you can watch that as well. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. Conan Can't Stop, that documentary. Yeah. And that was when I was just starting to cotton on that there was something cool in the late night world. I think because it was old Letterman and young Leno and the two of those, I guess they were two just... Yeah. Leno never really interested me. And, you know, and you'd always see like the same old Monica Lewinsky jokes and all this sort of stuff. And I was just like, it just doesn't interest me. But Conan, you'd be a Conan man. Yeah. Oh, so you can see my little Conan up there. Oh, that's so cool. I'm a Matt, I used to have a Conan t-shirt that I used to wear all the yeah. time. Yeah. Have you seen him um, in LA? Have you been to see the filming? No, but I'm going to the States for Thanksgiving yeah. this year. And do, do yourself a favor. Go see it live. Yeah, it was really cool. Like well, That was my one thing I wanted to do was go see Conan. And you didn't? No, no this year. Will. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about in the past 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just um, like looking, like being able to see it all and just the, the skill with which they do it all is just, oh, it's amazing, right? And that little Conan figurine that I've got. So he now does Comic-Con every year. Yeah. Like his business model is fantastically good. Yeah. Like the way that he launched his comeback show and then um, he has built that show up and now he's got his online stuff, like his Clueless Gamer. Incredible. And it prefigured the whole like PewDiePie Twitch kind of craze. Yep. Like that was just starting out and he started doing his own clueless gamer videos of yep. him playing them and being bad at them. His podcast is great. Like yep. he just Have you him... seen his videos that are not on the show but it's him like interviewing the staff in his office? Well this is so often like so when I had my show my producer was Leon. Yeah. And we would always watch those because he has his producer, Conan his producer is Jordan Schlansky. Yeah. One of the greats. And they Is he um, real or not? Oh, I have no idea. I think he must be. It's part of the mystery. He's like a robot. Yeah. Like dead yeah. face. He actually a robot. Exactly. Weird obsession with culture and the fine arts, but works on Conan. And Conan yeah. is like a nerd who hates nerds. Yeah. Like it's just brilliant. <laughs> but a nerd who thinks he's a jock, but it's actually yeah. a bigger nerd than the nerds. But um, so yeah, me and Leon would watch those, and we still send them to each other every now and again. Just go, oh my god, check this out. In fact, I reckon Conan is probably the one thing that makes me wish I had a radio show still. Yeah. I reckon. Like, I look at radio and I'm like, oh, yeah, I had a pretty good go at that. It was really fun and whatever. Happy to hand on the on the, on the the torch or whatever. But then I see Conan do stuff and it, it gives me that nostalgia where I go, oh, yeah. that's not what me and Leon used to do. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, like I see like him do stuff. And I'm like, oh, I remember when he did that, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, Conan's a big influence on me. So when he started the Tonight Show, you've got the same hair. Got the same hair. That was a coincidence, <laughs> by the way. Um, when he started the Tonight Show, he ran from New York to Los Angeles, and it was one of my like favorite skits because um, basically it says, "Oh, Conan's about to start. He's running the Tonight Show. Yeah. He's looking good." And you see Conan in his hotel room, and it's like, 
you know, I've written my jokes. Yep. Built the new set. Yep. Um, brush my teeth. And he's, yep. Good to go. Move from New York to Los Angeles. And then he looks yeah. out the window and you, and I was, and so when I got engaged to Bridget, I did something similar. I ran so you, you ripped off Conan for your proposal. I didn't rip him off. I was inspired. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, I remixed it. Um, if you ever meet him, you have to tell him. Well, I tried to get him on the show, on my radio show, to like ask him permission, oh, sort of thing. Okay. Um, so I wanted to. Uh, turns out Conan's hard to get a hold He's of. He's busy. He's pretty busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, one day, if I ever meet him, I'll say you had a huge effect on my when, life. When I met Noel Fielding from the Mighty Boosh, oh. I. Um, took in a photo of me when I was like 21 and I had yep. his exact haircut. Yeah. And I was like... Your hair's not that in, different from me now though. No, but it was like proper, proper like really yeah. short on the top and kind of feathered up oh, okay, and like yeah. a fringe like that, but long and straight on the sides. Like it's very different. Right. Like we looked identical. Yeah. Like 2007 Dan looks exactly, exactly like... 2005 Noel Fielding And so did Noel appreciate that? Yeah, he thought it was great And we had this whole bonding thing About hairdressers And all this sort of <laughs> stuff But yeah, it's kind of funny In a way to almost I guess like embarrass yourself In front of your idol A bit like that yeah. And be like oh, If they're on board with it, I guess Well, they say never yeah. meet your idols And for me it would be Letterman and Conan yeah. You had a chance to meet your idol I've what... met a lot of my idols So yeah So you know how there's that saying Never meet your idols What's your experience of that then? I remember that one of the very first interviews I had Like maybe the first Was with the presets And I couldn't believe it I'd been DJing for a while yep. And I was just like Oh my god And I said something to them And uh, and that it just made it made it come across as a little bit like it wasn't like oh my god I love you so much yeah. but I just said something and like I like made him feel old or something like that like I used to listen to you in my year 12 or something like yeah. that you know <laughs> yeah. like if you go the wrong way yeah you can really just come off the wrong way but I, I like that I got to meet a few of my idols after I'd been in the business for about five years so you weren't some young kid fan you were like an equal almost yeah and you can almost ask them like actual work questions yeah or, yeah um, you didn't have any bad experiences, obviously. Nah, like obviously I've had terrible interviews. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, like I'm, you know, but well, I guess with those ones, you're like, I don't care about my audience anymore. This is for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to ask the questions. Well, that's I it, isn't know. it? Yeah. yeah. And like, or just, you know, I think of like Metallica or like these things where you're like just so nervous, and yeah. then when you actually meet them, you're like, Can I just level with you? You're good at what you do. Yeah. And they're like, Thanks, man. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're never going to be able to like have a beer with them. No. There's the oh, delivery. It's here. Oh, <laughs> I t I see, I, you fill in the Okay, I'll story. fill in the blank. Dan, before we started this podcast, Dan said, there's a small chance during the recording, the FedEx guy is going to arrive. And we did all the maths and said, what is the percentage opportunity? Just going to go downstairs. <laughs> what is the chances he turns up while recording? Well, it turns out he did. Uh, what were we talking about? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but so Conan. Um, I the other great thing about Conan, which I think for our generation, which gives uh, gives him the edge, is The Simpsons. Yep. So he wrote the monorail well, episode. My partner Bridget has banned me talking about the fact that Conan wrote the monorail because every time. So I brought it up. So you're fine. Yes. So. 
we were in Singapore last week and there's a, a, a monorail type thing. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, did you know? And she goes, yes, Ryan, I know that Conan was a writer for The Simpsons and that he wrote the monorail episode and you don't need to tell me again because you've already told me five times. Hey, hey, once you marry her, she's stuck with you. <laughs> well, she put said it, yes. Put it in your vows. We're, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually talking about we're going to write our own vows and it'll be... Oh, Dan, thank you so much. You've changed my life because the, I'm actually going to put that in. Dun, dun, and dun, for the rest dun. of my life, you'll... Continue to listen to me tell you that Conan was both a writer for The Simpsons. He wrote the monorail. There we go. And he went to Harvard and was the editor of the Harvard Lampoon. Lampoon, yep. Um, So you know more about late night hosts than you thought you did. I know a lot about Conan, yeah. But um, Can I ask a question? Yes, questions are how you learn. (laughs) So back in the day, 80s and 90s, I feel like the Tonight Show gig and sort of late night in general, but specifically the Tonight Show gig was... The showbiz job Yes Do you think now That the showbiz job exists Or that media is so fragmented That there'll never be this One specific thing That everyone's after It's interesting isn't it Yeah I mean When I got Sydney Breakfast The way I explained it to a lot of people Is I'm like It's like the Tonight Show of radio Which is true That's what I kept telling everyone It's true It is like the the one thing I mean And did they believe you When you said that? And do they believe you now And remind you that you said that? <laughs> yeah No because I'm like Conan now yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did it for true. a few months And then they fired yeah, yeah. me <laughs> No um, It's Like I mean What is the job right now? Kim Kardashian? For some people You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. that's the world we're in now Where like you say It is all sort of fragmented And I remember I read something recently Right? And people were like Back in the day The benchmark used to be Not selling out it used to be like, if you want to be at the top of your sort of creative career, mm-hmm. the idea, I think of Nirvana, yeah. the idea is to not sell out. Um, so when Pepsi says, we want to use your song in our ad, here's two million, you're like, nah, man, we don't sell out. Yeah, or finding ways to get rich off your creative work, but not sell it. Yep, 100%. Um, whereas nowadays, it's the polar opposite. The sign that you're at your top of your game is being like, I'm in an Apple commercial. Look at my endorsement deals. Yeah. It's so true. And I was speaking to someone the other day about this and I say it regularly and they're like, oh, I have to do this unbranded stuff so I can keep getting the sponsored things. Wow. (laughs) And I'm sort of like, so I make a little bit of money doing videos and stuff on Instagram and Facebook and I have to remind myself that I can't wait for the next deal. Like I have to keep making it myself. And so I'm sort of part of the problem well i guess hate the game not the player but um, <laughs> it's so true that i was like back in the day you would be like oh do i oh, i probably have to take the deal the- with coke because oh, i have to keep the lights on yeah but now you're like oh i have to make my own original stuff yeah it's not it doesn't even have a brand on board yeah. why would i bother yeah and, it, yeah and it's so true it's the polar opposite i don't know when the moment when that flipped yeah. but it's it's very strange and maybe these sort of uh i mean it feels almost mean calling them legacy acts but maybe these are the final like Days of that where someone like Conan, you know, he, I don't know, he's he's part of the machine. He makes millions of dollars, whatever. Yep. But like he still maintains a lot of independence. Yep. He isn't on his Instagram talking about detox tea. You will not you know? see a teeth whitening product on Conan O'Brien's Instagram as Dan smashes his microphone. You're really bad desk. about that because every time I get a guest on, I always tell them, don't knock the microphone over. And they're like, cool, I won't. And they do. And now <laughs> I've bloody knocked it over. That's cool. I'm blaming on the FedEx guy. Yeah, blame you it off your game. Blame it on FedEx. Yeah. FedEx. If you want a parcel <laughs> delivered, deliver it with FedEx. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, is do we like every generation romanticizes the generation before? Like, you know, Letterman probably sits around going, "It was so much cooler for Carson." Yeah. But there is that weird thing about the nineties where it seemed like technology and creativity had reached a very high point but hadn't quite gone over that curve which the internet kind of pushed it over where it all became very subsidized or something like that like it ruined itself <laughs> well the movies of the 90s right like there's this. I read this article now talking about how like 1999 was like the massivest year for movies, right. like the stuff that or 97 or one of those late 90s years. But it was like, oh my god, so many phenomenal movies came out in one year, and it's because all these people who had grown up with like the auteurs of the 70s and 80s, and it's the same in like comedy and stuff. All these people who grew up watching these like. Um, Richard Pryor and people yeah. like that and learning from George Carlin, learning from these amazing people and they got the creativity from them. But then through the whole, like, I guess, like, I don't know, Bill Clinton, um, end of the Cold War, like optimism that came with the 90s Wall Street money, the two collided and created this fantastic moment in the 90s where there was heaps of money going around and heaps of really highly trained creatives and the money people just threw all the money at the creatives. You do your thing. Yeah. And they stepped out of the way. And, the, and you got Seinfeld. Yeah. You know, you got these things. And yeah, I think that was a real wave. And I mean, we grew up watching that. Yeah. Right. So we were all like, oh my God, if that's what they get to do, imagine what we, we get, get to, to do. do. Yeah. And of course, what we get to do is sell detox tea on Instagram. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. And be everything in the, you know, back in the 90s, it was like, you have to have someone who knows how to cut film and you have to have someone who knows how to do like, you know, um, rig all the lighting and someone who can hold yep. the really heavy camera and all these things. Whereas now it's like, you should be able to do all that yourself on a phone. Yep. Dan, you should be producing everything yourself. Yeah. Well, I bloody do on this thing. You are. You're yeah. running a tight ship here. I've sent you all those desperate text messages. Please Where come you in. Friend? Please come in. Please come in. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so is there is there going to be another thing like that? Who knows? I don't know. I mean, we spoke about John Oliver earlier. Yeah. He, I mean, he's probably the only Tonight Show that, if you can call it that, that I watch every week. Do you watch? And I'm, I hate that I've brought this up because I can't say his name and I hate that I can't say his name. Um, Hassan. Minaj. Yes. Yeah. I've watched a couple of episodes. Um, but I, again, the only thing I actually watch like regularly is John Oliver. Right. Generally, a lot like this is really bad. Like we should, we're content people. We should, we should be you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like a lot of stuff, I'll watch. You know, if it comes up on YouTube. Yeah. Or Hassan said, "This is the best coverage of this topic you'll ever get until John Oliver does it in two weeks. So much better than I'm doing in it right two now. weeks." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have watched yeah. some of his stuff. I think, yeah, I watched one. Ep I always like to just watch at least one episode or something yep. from beginning to end, just to be like, cool. I, you know. I've given it a shot, but um, also, I mean, I watched so much Samantha B before Trump got elected. Yeah. Like I was like, this is great. She's so on point. She's just like, when she did that whole campaign about like, does Donald Trump actually know how to read? <laughs> and she had like this like super cut of like Donald Trump, like 
Shout out this super cut of like Donald Trump um, like fumbling with words or like looking at paper, putting it down and saying something else and all these things. It was very funny. And I was like, you know, she's she did this whole goodbye to Ted Cruz video. And I was like, this is amazing. And then when Trump actually got elected, part of me went like, oh no, I'm one of the smug left. You know, I bought, <laughs> yeah. I bought into it. And, and you were outvoted. Yeah. I mean... Did you do you um, listen to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History? I don't, but I love Malcolm Gladwell, and he's in the same category. Just saying that I wish I listened to you, but I don't. Well, his podcast is like you know how a book can be unput downable. His is unswitch offable. Um, yeah, unswitch offable, un- undepotable. <laughs> like, um, but he um, one of his podcasts is about the almost um, paradoxical power of satire, where. Um, Everyone made fun of Sarah Palin and it wasn't about her policies. It was just about how goofy she is. Yep. And they missed a major opportunity on all these Tonight Shows and Saturday Night Live and all that stuff to actually tell the viewers like what's bad about her. And instead they were like, here's what's silly about her. Right. And you see Boris Johnson. Yep. Like oh, I just want... Same thing. Yeah. Oh, I just watched the John Oliver, Boris Johnson bit, and Boris Johnson literally like there was a a massive kerfuffle. He was in hot water. Oh no, I've done a pun. But then what he did because he went out the next day just in like this baggy rugby top and some funny shorts with a whole tray of tea, and whenever anyone asked him like you know do you like are you going to offer your opinion on this issue he was like. I've only come out to give out tea. Right. I mean, just take a cup of tea. Yeah. Everyone have a cup of tea. Yeah. And um, like, no. In the end, they were all sitting around drinking his tea. And just literally sitting around drinking. His yes, tea. literally. And you were just like, I don't know. Do you think is it incumbent on shows like Tonight Shows and stuff to, I guess, go beyond the cheap gag? And try to actually be a force of political education. Well, there was a big discussion about that when Jimmy Fallon had Donald Trump on his show in the election campaign. And this is where Fallon lost his number one rating and still hasn't got it back um, from Stephen Colbert. So Trump came on and Jimmy said, asked if he could like ruffle his hair a little bit. Ah, yes. Because the big joke is like he's got the fake hair and the orange skin and the weird hands or whatever. And everyone, like you said, was concentrating on the silly and not the damaging policies. And everyone said, Fallon, you have humanized this monster Mm. because he ruffled his hair and they kind of joked, but he should have, like the other guys did, like Kimmel, asked the hard question. Like, Should he have? Well... And that's the thing. I don't know if it's... Is it The Tonight Show's job to be making the political statements? Maybe. I mean, Some, a lot well, do. Well, there's the thing. Like, a lot of people aren't going to sit down with, you know, the the New Yorker, yeah. but they will watch the Fallon interview. Yeah. That's the interesting thing, right? It's the same with Breakfast Radio. It's like, on the one hand, people will literally comment on a Facebook saying, why are you guys doing something political? Like, look at what happens every time the project do some. Yeah. Here's something we should think about. Everyone goes, oh, you're well, the Lee, project. tell me what to think. You're the project. What do yeah. you know? But... A if, lot. <laughs> well, yeah, but also if people are there, like, you've got to, you know, yeah. maybe give them their vegetables wrapped up in a piece of meat, yeah. you know? It's, um, yeah. I mean, I... You know. Well, Fallon lost his number one rating because Colbert was apparently doing... 
really good hard hitting Trump stuff in the lead up to the Trump yeah, being elected. Yeah. And everyone was watching it and Fallon was just trying to keep it light and breezy, wanted to be everyone's friend and he actually liked it. And he it. missed the sort of public psychology, the zeitgeist. Well, everyone was talking about politics. Yeah. He wasn't, like I said, that lost him his ratings. But then sometimes what happens, I mean, again, I'm speaking as someone who's been a broadcaster, you go, if everyone's talking about politics, There's a gap why, in don't the we, why don't we be the, the sweet escape yeah. where you can just go, ah, oh, I know that, you know, Jimmy Fallon is the place to go where I can avoid Trump. Because a lot of people did that as well. Like yeah. they did those things like this is a no Trump zone. Yeah. Well, NBC's, the whole invention of late night TV and the talk shows, NBC's statement was, we want our viewers to go to sleep with a smile on their face. Yeah. That was their, ho- and it's even still is like that. And there was an interview with Seth Myers in uh, a business magazine the other day. So he's after Jimmy Fallon now. Yeah. And he does these big 10 minute political news mm. bits. And at first the network was like, people want to go to sleep smiling. They don't want a 10 minute bit on politics and, you know, keep it light and tight and bright. And he did it anyway. And they're his most popular segments now. And they go viral pretty much every time he does them once a week or so. But, but they go viral. Yeah. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are the most beloved or the most valuable or the most engaged. It just means they're the most shared. Correct. Right. It's like, it's that false metric of saying, well, McDonald's is the highest selling food in the world. So therefore it must be the best. Yeah. Not necessarily. And it's very easy to, in this data driven age to go, well, that's got the most views. So it must be the most, it's what people want Mm. because they're watching it. And it's, it's, you've got to go that little bit further and go, or is it getting watched because that's what people are being fed. Yeah. You can't order something that isn't on the menu. True story. So I read this thing just this morning where someone was like, I'm sick of reading about really interesting Netflix shows getting (laughs) cancelled after one season and they never came up on my homepage. Yeah. Because the Netflix homepage isn't here's what we offer. It's here's what relates to what you've already viewed. Which is why you need separate accounts. Because <laughs> you just keep getting fed Gilmore Girls. <laughs> oh, Bridget watches The Offspring and uh, Gilmore Girls, and what's the one? The New York Gossip Girl. Oh, and it's I was ruined say, my algorithm. The city. How old am I? It's it's ruined my algorithm. Um, but it's so true what you just yeah. said. Though, have you watched The Loudest Voice with Russell Crowe? Is it the movie where he looks like an old man in the picture? Yes, it's on, it's a TV series and he plays oh. Roger Ailes who created Fox News. Okay. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, if anyone's still listening to this podcast... I think they will. It's a half hour podcast. Like, come yeah, on. come on, yeah. guys. You listen to it on twice speed anyway. It's 15 <laughs> minutes of your day. It's exactly what we're just talking about. He's big on, no, no, it's not our job to just, you know, we make the news and we give people what we want them to hear and it's fascinating. Did you ever watch Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip? No. So that's, um, you know, Aaron Sorkin who made The West yes. Wing? Yeah. After The West Wing, yeah. he tried to make a similar show, but about late night sketch comedy. Oh, and it didn't work it out? Didn't did work it didn't work out. Number one, because again, you know how we were talking about um, 
uh, comedy media nerds yep. love late night because it's half comedy but also half serious yep. media battles, politics, yep. intrigue. People, the vast majority of people don't see it that way. They yeah. go, again, Jimmy Fallon's just funny. Tell me a joke, get off. Yeah, yep. so when Aaron Sorkin doubled... Like, if you made a political drama about the West Wing, you go, oh my God, of course, I want to see that. Yep. If you make a political drama about... Saturday Night Live, yeah. everyone goes, come on, mate. They're just jokesters. So what? He made the Larry Sanders show not funny. <laughs> literally. That's literally what it is. Yeah. Well, he made the newsroom, which was a great show. So Yeah, well, that, that came after that. And then it's gone. That was, you can understand again, a political drama in a yep. newsroom. Great. Yeah. But, you know, if you did the next one, it's a political drama in an, in an improv gang. <laughs> it's a political drama happen. about a podcast made in Dandaboo's exactly, dining right? room. Probably yeah. not going <laughs> to. But the, you should see, man, the the machinations. and The, the drama that's gone down this morning. Oh, mama. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. It's been I fun. can't wait to see your late night show. I don't think it will exist. Yeah, I know. Our ships have sailed. Yeah. <laughs> well, to former Ryan and Dan's <laughs> yeah, little young ones. We're in the over. advertising game now. Yeah. See you guys later. <laughs>